It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. As always, I'm your host, your pal and kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts like Spotify, Podbean, Himalaya, or whatever you like. And if you don't like any of those, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. Tell it those words. It'll take you right to the most recent episode, and you don't have to lift a finger. And today we are talking all things Oakland Raiders. We're putting the Lambeau loss behind us, and we are previewing the Week 3 showdown with Oakland. And there's uh, quite a lot to get into. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on and ways to exploit the Raiders that I want to talk about. But first, as we always do with this like preview episode, we got to start with the injury report. The first injury report comes out on Wednesday. Since I record this on Wednesday nights, this is kind of the only injury news I get to talk about. And the first injury report of the week came out without really many surprises on it at all. Ben Gideon didn't practice again. Mackenzie Alexander didn't practice again. Everybody else was at least limited, including Mike Hughes, who was a full participant. Uh, reporters actually asked him about about his situation, and he basically said, I just have to get the clear from the doctors, but I feel good to go, which probably means that he's really, really close. And that would be an excellent addition, although J. Ron Curse had a really nice game in week two and, and you know, in, in the place of Mackenzie Alexander and Mike Hughes, like, you could do worse at third string nickel. Same with uh, Eric Wilson, honestly. I think I mentioned that I didn't like his game. I, I was pretty wrong about that. I looked, his PFF grade came out really positively, so I was like, whoa, what I miss? And I went back and I looked, and it turns out I missed a bunch of good plays. So uh, the, the Gideon and slot corner injuries don't concern me a ton, just because I, I really have a lot of faith in those backups. Uh, Pat Elfline is still limited. We'll see uh, what happens between him and Dakota Dozier this week. I thought Dozier outplayed Elfline, but not that much, like not by that much. Uh, he still got walloped by Kenny Clark pretty hard so that position battle I guess if there is one is uh, I, I don't think that there's been any motion in it based on the week two game I think Dozier would have to come in and, and play a little better for a couple more games to threaten Elfline to steal the spot uh, right now I think Dozier's only playing time will be as the sixth offensive line on heavy sets and uh, as a backup for Elfline if he remains injured a bunch of other people were limited, but nobody really is a cause for concern. So the Vikings, I think, are as healthy as you could ask for headed into a week three game. The only injuries that are there are ones that shouldn't affect the team too bad just because they are at positions where the Vikings happen to be deep, deep enough to handle it. There's also a quote from Mike Zimmer in his Wednesday presser that I want to address. Uh, he was asked about, you know, the the heavy run game kind of strategy, you know, the the both games this this season have been like very very run heavy they've run a lot more than other teams are running and so somebody asked like hey you know is this the goal is this what you want and uh the, there was another point that was made about a bunch of naked naked bootlegs and rollouts uh, i think i called this out on yesterday's show ab about the game in in lambo where the packers essentially send an outside linebacker upfield on just about every play to guard against that naked bootleg, and you saw it create a whole bunch of like free unblocked pressures. In turn, inside zone was really, really effective. Outside zone, way less effective. So the Packers were essentially committing to taking away a couple of things that the Vikings uh, appear to use a lot on tape, and that happened to work, all right, work out all right. But it also like 
played a pretty big role in like the 75-yard touchdown and stuff. So it was kind of a trade-off that they selected. And Mike Zimmer's response to the questions about this was basically like, yeah, if they're going to do that, we're going to keep running in the places where they aren't. And uh, But the way he worded it was like way vaguer than that. He was like, yeah, if they're going to keep playing the pass, we're going to keep running. And then that kind of made the rounds of all of the, you know, run game truthers, which I think I still am. I don't know. Uh, and and people, you know, out of context, it looks, you know, makes them look like a dinosaur. But I just wanted to like explain the context of that quote in case you had seen that and gone, oh my goodness, our old coach is, you know, playing football like it's the night. No, he's not. He, the point he was making was essentially the point of take what the defense gives you, which is pretty conventional and uh, unopposed wisdom. Um, he just worded it funky and now it makes him seem like he's way more out of touch than he actually is. In fact, if you want to, you know, evidence of how much Mike Zimmer respects analytics in play calling, or Mike Zimmer slash the offensive staff slash whoever's making decisions right now, whoever you want to name. Uh, right now, I, I believe Kirk Cousins is third in play action percentage. I think he runs play action the third most. Part of that might be because they feel confident that the run game is working, so they can run play action, so they do a lot. Um, and that maybe is concerning process because if the run game does get shut down, will they go away from play action, even though they probably don't have to? Maybe that's kind of what happened in 2018. Um, but right now they're using play action a lot. And I think the whole organization top to bottom understands the value of play action. And some of them even understand the value of play action, whether or not your running game is being successful right now. There's also still a lot of questions being asked about the Lambeau game. And like I said, I do want to move on. Um, but I, I just kind of want to mention that whenever somebody has a bad game, there's really not a quote you can say that won't get, you know, like ripped apart in the media. So when the journalists are asking, you know, hey, you know, you played really bad. Kirk Cousins was up on the podium and all the reporters were like, hey, you know, you, you played bad. What do you do? And Kirk Cousins' answer can be anything and we'll be mad at it. So I, I just kind of want to like throw out that you probably shouldn't be mad at Kirk Cousins for saying the wrong thing right now because there is no good option when you play poorly. I mean, his, his answer was essentially like, yeah, if I keep playing like that, I'd probably get run out of town. I know how this business works and I think that that's fair and reasonable, but I, I saw a lot of people like tweeting about it and people commenting on it like that it was for some reason some like unaware thing to say because I guess he like is incapable of improving which I guess is fair I mean he's 30 and he still has issues that he had as a rookie which is like kind of something that all quarterbacks deal with it's just these are his specific ones and they're ones that I don't know I dislike but I'm getting off on a huge tangent the point is when somebody is asked on Wednesday after a game and they're already practicing for the next one and they say like yeah no it was bad like I don't know what what do you want me to do like there's no answer to that that's going to satisfy you if there is one identify it say I wish he would have said this not wow what a bad thing to say I just kind of wanted to throw that out there I think it's kind of a, a crappy way to treat players and to comment about players when really you're just mad that they played poorly and you still want to dwell on it. This Vikings Raiders preview podcast is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code Locked On. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network in this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time. I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash LOCKEDONNBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to 
add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and uh, respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. Okay, let's talk about the actual Oakland Raiders because I went around, I did a little bit of scouting based on uh, some of the recommendations that Q told me yesterday on Crossover Wednesday. Do go listen to that conversation. But I went and kind of researched for myself to see if I agreed with what his assessments of of the players were and just kind of went and watched. And what I really wanted to pay attention to first was the secondary because he essentially called that out as a spot of weakness, something to be exploited, especially the corners. And now even the safeties, now that Jonathan Abram has had like season ending surgery. So there's a lot of questions in that secondary. And of course, the Vikings have a couple of pass catchers that, uh, you know, like going up against bad corners. So I wanted to go look up their first couple of games, see what happened. I mean, the Chiefs had that insane second quarter against them, you know, what went on there. And what I found was a, a huge mess. I wanted to pour acid into my eyes watching this secondary. I just went and and watched all of the completed passes that the Chiefs had, which of, of which there were many, uh, and the problems that that led to those to see if I could identify, like, you know, what problems are repeatable, what could you go and, like, exploit. And a, a lot of them were based on corners just playing passively. This is what I noticed. And, and they, they seem to be reacting and not reading, and that plays really well into what Diggs and Thielen do, because what the, the way that Diggs and Thielen win when they're running routes is with deception. And I, I would love to, I might link it in the in the show notes if I can. If you have NFL Game Pass, you should go watch the uh, the the NFL film room with Adam Thielen. It was something that aired this offseason. And it's basically uh, a couple of guys, I think it's Baldinger and Ron Jaworski sit down with Adam Thielen and just they just like talk shop for a while. It's really, really cool content. Uh, and in it, Adam Thielen talks about, you know, running deceptively, how you're supposed to start certain routes. If you're going to run a curl, say a nine-yard curl, you want to eat up that nine yards of space as quickly as you can, not only you know, to get turned around faster, and that way the route can be completed faster, makes it easier on your line and stuff, but also because if you are sprinting dead ahead in a straight line, a cornerback might see that and think you're going on a go route, and they'll flip around, run away from the spot where you're actually supposed to catch the ball. It's deceptive, and, and there's all kinds of little tricks way beyond that. That's like the simplest example I can think of, but things like if you're going to run a a blaze out, which is a route where you kind of drift to the inside and then cut really sharply outside. It's maybe Adam Thielen's best route. Might be Diggs's too, and and it shouldn't surprise you that just about every offensive coordinator that's inherited these two runs mirrored blaze outs all the time with these two. It's just the thing that they're best at. But they're really, really good at that route stem. You know, the part, the the first part of the route is called the stem, where you know they're they're drifting just a little bit inside. They make sure they get the proper leverage on the corner so that the corner thinks that they are running like in a post or a, a you know a seam route of some sort. And they also kind of run it whimsically. Speed control is a big part of route running. You might start slow and then go fast or go fast and then start slow. Changing the speed is just as good as cutting sometimes in terms of getting uh, getting separation. And on those routes, they're really, really good at, at manipulating their speed, manipulating their direction, manipulating their hips, and essentially 
sounding any any and all alarm bells to the cornerback for them to react to a route that you are not running, and that's how they get so open. And the only way to, like, cover that is to be really, really anticipatory, and essentially you have to try to figure out what the route is without relying on any of the wide receiver's keys, which is really, really difficult to do. And again, this is what makes Diggs and Thielen good. And what I noticed the Oakland corners doing is reacting. They are basically just watching what direction they go and trying to cover that route. Essentially, I saw guys like Emmanuel Sanders in week one, guys like Demarcus Robinson in week two, just like feasting on this. Sammy Watkins, they were just feasting on this because any and all deception worked because it kind of felt like the Oakland corners were sleepwalking. Oh, quick note, I actually found a link uh, to a YouTube version of the Adam Thielen film room, so you can go watch it. You should watch all of those if they're all up on YouTube. It's really awesome. But more to the point, what I, I think the matchups between wide receivers and cornerbacks are way more mental than we give them credit for. We often will see, you know, big highlight plays by a corner or a wide receiver, and we'll be praising the physical attributes that led to it. You know, oh, look how fast, look how, how agile they looked on that cut. Look at, oh, you broke some ankles, you know. Uh, but I think that the mental part of it honestly leads to more consistent production one way or another. We see this on the other side with Xavier Rhodes, who's so good at guessing routes. That was, that's what makes him a good corner, though he, he got got by Devontae Adams this week. Like, that's what made him able to, to shut down Julio Jones in week one. And I think on the other side, you know, the wide receivers can win mentally without using any of the physical attributes of which Diggs and Thielen have plenty but they just like don't even need them because they're so good at running deceptively and you know I see things like on a, a comeback I see uh Garyon Conley I think it was or maybe it was Trayvon Mullen uh you know backpedaling nine yards and giving up a five-yard curl route because he just wasn't trying to read the rest of the play. He was just locked in on his one person and read a go route because he was running straight, and that's really all the the reading that was going on, and everything else was reacting. Of course, you can only ever react so fast, and if you get yourself out of position because you aren't reading, then your reaction doesn't actually matter. The catch is going to be made. Similarly, in the week one matchup with the Broncos, there's this huge, huge pass to Emmanuel Sanders over Trayvon Mullen, and he's a second round rookie and he just does not get his hips flipped fast enough at all. He just, he waits for so, so long before he commits to the go route. Perhaps because, you know, uh, quicker breaking routes had, had burned him earlier in the game. He was being way more conservative about it. And then Manuel Sanders used that and got like a 50 yard catch. That's the kind of thing you can do with rookie, young rookie corners. But it's also happening with like Gary on Conley, who is, I think, was he in his second, third year? It's also happening to LaMarcus Joyner, who's been in the league for forever, is inexplicably playing slot cornerback. He was a safety for uh, the Los Angeles Rams for a long time, but for some reason he's playing slot corner now. I guess maybe they just like have, without uh, Abram, they just have like no depth anymore. But Joyner gave up a whole bunch of huge issues. Uh, and, and this leads to me to my next point about the secondary, which is that their communication is awful. Now, here's the thing. Oakland runs the same defense as the Vikings do because Oakland's defensive coordinator is Paul Gunther, who is a disciple of Mike Zimmer in Cincinnati. So they run the same scheme. It's all the same concepts and principles and stuff that we're used to seeing. So like when you're scouting it, you know what it's supposed to look like. 
but it doesn't look like that in Oakland, and it's because their communication just is not there. The There are alignment rules to Mike Zimmer's defense. This is part of, like, match concepts, but essentially, you know, depending on the way the offense lines up, you know, if there are two guys to one side and two guys to the other, you get that guy, you get that, or, you know, you read that guy, I read this guy. If there's three and one, then, you know, it changes who you read, who you're supposed to look at, depending on where the tight end is and where the running back is and where who's on the strong side and weak side of the formation. There's all these rules, right? And this is part of, like, why it's kind of difficult for rookies to succeed in Mike Zimmer's defense. There's a lot of stuff to learn and it's kind of a steep learning curve. And that learning curve is something that Oakland is really, really struggling to to bicycle their way up because there's all sorts of miscommunication. Right now, Oakland's defense looks like a worse version of the beginning of 2018 for the Vikings defense and all, like the Rams game and the Bills game and all those miscommunications and, you know, letting Kyle Juszczyk get down the field for 45 yards. That stuff that happened in September of last year is happening to Oakland, but way, way worse and way more consistently because they just don't have that communication down. They are trying to pass off coverages. They're trying to, you know, you'll see a linebacker like Vontaze Perfect, you know, kind of point at, at LaMarcus Joyner. LaMarcus Joyner will look back, seemingly acknowledging what Perfect said, and then both Perfect and Joyner go buzz to the flat, and I think it was Demarcus Robinson again was free, completely uncovered for a free touchdown, one of Mahomes' four on the day. And even the alignment rules themselves, when executed properly, have problems. I'll link this in the show notes because I covered this on Twitter, uh, but essentially there was a play against the Chiefs where the Chiefs came out in three by one, three receivers to one side, one receiver on the other. The Raiders had a zone blitz dialed up. They were running, it looked to me like, like cover four. I can only ever tell so much. I'm still not an expert at that stuff, so I'm so sorry if I'm wrong, but it looked like cover four. Either way, it was zone coverage, uh, and there was a blitz coming off of the defense's right side of the formation where the three receivers so you're essentially sending all your defenders on a blitz, the defenders you can spare at least, and you're leaving three defenders on one side of the formation where they have three wide receivers. You got one-on-ones all the way across. That could be fine, right? That might just be the point. It's a blitz, right? You have to do something a little risky. You can't have that much help. But there's something that in a defense like Mike Zimmer's you usually do, which is you try to disguise your coverage. You have the safeties line up one way, and then they try to anticipate when the snap's about to be, and then they they roll the other way. You know, you'll see Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris do this all the time, you know, kind of, you know, like fly up to the line of scrimmage right before the right before the play and then blitz or, or back off right before the you know feign blitz and then back off right before the play maybe it makes them change a protection or screw something up and on this play uh i think is it's daryl worley the the safety the free safety backs off like 20 yards right before this play and now suddenly you have three on three on one side of the field, but one guy is playing 25 yards off. It's third and 10. So they run an 11-yard curl and nobody's within a mile of, I think it was Sammy Watkins that time. It's just really frustrating to watch, you know, Mike Zimmer's defense but without any of the thought that goes into it, it just looks like somebody tried to copy his work but didn't actually understand what was going on. And I think all of these things are exploitable. And I wanted to spend a lot of time on that because I, I it like bothers me. I don't know. I, I, I hate seeing, you know, these like, I, it looks like they're sleepwalking and that really bugs me just on any team, even, even if they're about to be the Vikings opponent. Like you have to adjust your alignment rules to the formation and when you're calling a blitz, you have to do the alignments differently. I feel like that should be easy. I don't know, man. Real quick, elsewhere on the defense, there's not a whole lot to pay attention to. Vontaze Burflicht has been, Burfict, uh, has been a, a good pass rusher for them, but that's really the only good pass rusher they have. Their two edge rushers have been fine, Cleveland Farrell and uh, Benson Mayoa, I think. They've been, like, all right. 
and they have P.J. Hall, who Q called out yesterday on Crossover Wednesday. I went and looked at some of his pass rushes. He's no Kenny Clark. He's no Grady Jarrett. Things should definitely go a lot better, and it's actually kind of a test for uh, Pat Elfline and or Dakota Dozier, whoever plays, and Garrett Bradbury. You know, you got to be able to stand up to the P.J. Halls of the world. Maybe Grady Jarrett's and Kenny Clark's kick your butt, but you should beat P.J. Halls. If you can't beat P.J. Halls, you don't have a place in the NFL. So if we're coming back on Sunday and going, man, they gave up four pressures, you know, Bradbury gave up four pressures again to P.J. Hall, we got a way bigger problem than you gave up five pressures to Kenny Clark. If you can't beat P.J. Hall, then who can you beat? Uh, But on defense, that's basically it. I think the, the Raiders have a huge, huge problem on defense that goes way deeper than our corners are young. I think the scheme is broken, and uh, unless they fix it this week, I think that Diggs and Thielen, there's no excuse for Diggs and Thielen not to run rampant on this Oakland Raiders defense. And if you believe me, maybe you can follow my footsteps and place a bet. I did a parlay. I've been saying it on these ad reads this whole time, and I, I, I never actually tried it. I'm going to try a parlay this week. I bet on uh, the Vikings minus 8.5, the Cowboys minus 22 against the Dolphins, and the Rams minus 3 against the Browns. And if they all win, my money gets returned to me fivefold. So you should definitely try it. MyBookie.ag. They are the ultimate online sportsbook. I love their website. I love how easy it is to go in, select your bets, do exactly what you want. Their user interface is super intuitive and I love it. And honestly, it's a really great way to get a stake in games you would otherwise not care about. Fantasy football doesn't give you a stake in any game. You know, you can't always have a reason to watch Monday Night Football, but if you, you know, throw a couple bucks down on what you think is going to happen, and let's be honest, you're smart. You listen to this show, right? That makes you a little smarter. Why don't you go try to make a buck on it? It's mybookie.ag. And right now, if you enter promo code locked on while you sign up, MyBookie will double your first deposit. So they will pay you just for signing up. It's free gambling money. That's mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, moving on. Let's talk a little bit about the Raiders' offense and and what's been making them go. Right now, the highest-graded player on PFF on their offense is Josh Jacobs. That is not a good sign. The running back generally has the least impact on the success of one's offense. I know saying this as a Vikings fan is crazy because of Dalvin Cook. But generally, run blocking has a lot more to do with run success than, you know, the running back himself does. If somebody's in the backfield penetrating and you can't even get enough acceleration to make a cut, you can't really do anything about saving the play. That said, Josh Jacobs has had a nice time running the ball, and I think the Raiders' run game has been, you know, a decent part of things. So you probably have to do a little better than you did against Aaron Jones uh, again uh, in, in Lambeau to really truly seal this game. Now, the hope is that with all the secondary issues and defensive issues that I just highlighted, you don't have to worry about the run game too much because you'll be ahead and you'll be in that nice, comfortable win and run out the clock scenario that the Vikings spent the whole game in in week one. But if they are in a situation where they can afford forward to run the ball and they just decide that that's how they want to approach this game maybe just because of what happened in the Green Bay game I actually don't think the defense was that bad against the run but if that's the choice that they make you'll have to you know have disciplined gap fits and run fits and stuff and that means that especially for Anthony Barr who was caught out of position a couple of times in the Green Bay game for Eric Wilson of course the backup who did really well he did he did nicely and I want to make sure I'm on the record about that uh, or Ben Gideon if Ben Gideon is play, decides to play hurt 
being in the right position is going to end up being really important. But what I really want to focus on is the passing game because the Raiders passing game has a whole bunch of really mediocre weapons that there's really no excuse for letting any of them uh, run all over the field on you. Now, the tight ends are where it's funny. The coaching on the offensive side is actually the same DNA as the coaching on the offensive side for the Vikings, too. They really have similar schemes and styles. Of course, John Gruden and Gary Kubiak, both Shanahan disciples. So you see the same kind of zone run concepts. You see a lot of the same like bootleg type stuff, play action. Uh, So there's a lot of the same principles going on here, including a heavy reliance on tight ends. Darren Waller, of course, this is who Q pointed out as like the X factor uh, in yesterday's show. And I went and watched him and yeah, he shows all kinds of awesome athleticism. And I'd be really excited about him if I were a Raiders fan. So I think even if, you know, uh, Mackenzie Alexander ends up playing, probably not. If Hughes ends up playing at this point, I would actually anticipate that Mike Hughes does get in the game and play, which is really awesome. Can't wait to see him in front of the home crowd get a big standing ovation when he first takes the field. It seems like that's the way things are going right now, at least at this juncture, though a lot can change between now and Sunday. Uh, But if that happens, I honestly, I would still put J. Ron Curse on the field a lot just because he matches up really well with Darren Waller. He has enough speed. He has the 6'4 height. He's like tailor-made to be the guy to take out your tight end. And Darren Waller, to me, he won a lot more with contested catches than he did with speed when he was matched up with cornerbacks. Actually, uh, Denver specifically, they put cornerbacks on him quite a bit, or they let him get matched up with cornerbacks when the Raiders would split him out wide, which uh, a lot of times teams won't be willing to do. If you split a tight end out wide, they'll have a linebacker go follow and say, no, you can't you know, waste my cornerback on your second tight end or whatever. If the Vikings would like split David Morgan out wide or CJ Ham, sometimes they would do that too. And then you'd end up with like CJ Ham on like Marcus Lattimore and a bunch of mismatches everywhere else on the field. Some teams will refuse to let you do that. They'll have the linebacker, you know, follow and then they'll have their Marcus Lattimore, their Rhodes or whatever go follow you like back inside. But the Broncos let him do that. They let corners uh, cover Darren Waller, and Darren Waller was still beating them physically at the catch point, but he wasn't getting away. Obviously, they're cornerbacks, right? They're going to be faster than the fast tight end. So I'm really curious to see how the Vikings decide to to handle that when Darren Waller is moving all over the formation, because honestly, that's the only real like pass-catching threat that they have. And when your only pass-catching threat is a tight end, and it's not like Rob Gronkowski, I think you have a really big problem. Hunter Renfro is their slot corner. I think that is a really easy, nice little warm-up matchup for Mike Hughes on on his way back. Uh, Hunter Renfro is not... He doesn't look athletic to me, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's a biased thing to say. Um, but he just doesn't look like that sharp of a route run. I mean, he looks like a rookie. Let's be honest. He just looks like a rookie slot corner. And I think Mike Hughes would, will be able to lock him down. On the outsides, you know, Tyrell Williams. Uh, I, I don't really worry about him. I don't think the Vikings will have to have Xavier Rhodes shadow anybody. There's no Julio Jones on this team. There was. There was an Antonio Brown, but uh, we were robbed of that matchup yet again. That's always a fun one because the two are best friends, but we don't get it this time. But in situations like this, the Vikings tend to play sides. They'll have usually, I think it's Trey Waynes on, on the right and Xavier Rhodes on the left. Uh, I think that's when they play sides. And essentially that is a, a way to introduce more simplicity uh, to kind of avoid the pitfalls of the problems that I mentioned with Oakland that Oakland is experiencing right now because where guys keep miscommunicating and there's too many things to remember and somebody does the wrong thing all the time. Uh, when you have the corners play sides, that's one less thing to remember or think about. And then you can, you know, get the actual assignment down a little better. And the scheme itself is supposed to be designed in a way that makes up for that. And you can essentially say, listen, both Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes are better than your wide receivers. Put whoever you want on them, they'll win. And this is a matchup where I think you can totally get away with 
that. And then there's pressure generation. Uh, right now, Derek Carr is one of the fastest quarterbacks to get the ball out of his hands, and that has made his tackles look very good, but I don't know if the tackles have actually been like winning that much, or if the Raiders have just had to throw the ball very fast for like game reasons and stuff, or, you know, maybe the pressure is forcing a little bit of some forced uh, checkdowns or quicker throws or, or different play calling that that's just a choice that the coaches happen to be to be making right now which makes it difficult to get pressure on Derek Carr but it also kind of places a ceiling on what you can accomplish if you have to throw the ball so fast that is going to be something that's interesting to watch I do really like the matchup I mean Colton Miller has had a nicer start to the season than his rookie season where he was this total catastrophe but Everson Griffin just made mincemeat of David Bakhtiari Colton Miller is no David Bakhtiari. I'm um, taking even an injured David Bakhtiari 100 times out of 100 over Colton Miller, at least at this juncture. So I would anticipate that Everson Griffin maybe reverses that narrative a little bit. And then, of course, you got to deal with Daniel Hunter on the other side. I think that those two wrecking balls will continue to wreck. I don't really see any reason for that to slow down at this juncture. They've already beaten better tackles. It will be interesting to see what happens at the three technique position. Um, you know, obviously I, I went over this in a little bit of the Lambo game recap stuff, just the difference between, I mean, Hercules Mata'afa, who's continuing to flash with that athleticism, but of course you can't put him in on too many run plays. But if the Vikings get ahead, you can essentially put Shamar Stefan on the shelf, who had a, an abysmal game against Lambo, and I don't think he's very disruptive at all. But I, I think he can at least, you know, be a player be a, a human being who's on the field against run plays and I can't say the same of Hercules Mata'afa but if the run game is taken away by the game situation you can put Mata'afa on and tell him tee off kid and I think that you might get some good results there and the last thing I want to talk about before I wrap this up and we head off to the Oakland game this is going to be the last time I talk to you and I want to wrap it up with Daniel Carlson I uh if you weren't following my work I wasn't on this show when the Vikings drafted Daniel Carlson I was writing for Purple PTSD and I hated the pick I wrote a whole thing about why you should never draft kickers um, so when he flamed out, it was like bittersweet because my takes were right, but also it sucked for my favorite team. So I like couldn't enjoy it. Y you know, the feeling. And then of course he goes to Oakland and becomes like all world. Right. So I, I think it'll be fun to see his return to us bank stadium. I'm curious to see if he gets any booze when he comes out to kick a field goal for the first time. Now I, I can't remember where I saw this, uh, but so I, I wish I could link it, but I can't remember. Um, but essentially they had tried to make a change in uh, his approach, in, in his timing. Um, I believe they wanted to, They it was a similar thing to with Corey Vedvik. They wanted to take a step out of his approach. I think they wanted to change something similar with Daniel Carlson and it totally broke him. Um, it wasn't the Vikings. It was actually a, an independent kicking coach that Daniel Carlson saw between the pre-draft process and uh, actually starting with the Vikings at some point he like saw some independent consultant who was like here you should do this and it totally broke him and the Vikings couldn't fix it he went to the Raiders and the Raiders were like oh this is wrong why don't you just go back to the way you were doing it at Auburn and then he was a good kicker again um, so I think that that was you know that special team staff is now gone a mutual parting of ways I guess is the way that that was but I think that whole story is really interesting it'll be funny to see. I mean, if he like if he misses a kick in this game, obviously the takes will be out of hand and I will be participating in the riots. As for predictions for the game, uh, I kind of already said it in the the my bookie read. I I bet on the Vikings to cover as part of a parlay. So I feel pretty good about it. I think that they'll actually be able to kick a lot of butt here. I think the ways that the Raiders are bad are specifically ways that the Vikings are good at attacking and that's that's a recipe for success. I see a really big bounce back here. So that's going to do it for 
today's episode and this week of Locked on Vikings. A bit of a dicey week, kind of difficult to get through this one, but we made it. We're on to the next week, and hopefully this is an easier game. You can always find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. You can find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts or just ask your smart device to play podcast LockedOnVikings. I will see you all on the other side of the game. And as always, skull. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer, to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune in to Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.